a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 124 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. And share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. I'm here again in the world-famous Say the Damn Score studio, which for now is still my upstairs spare bedroom of my townhouse in Burnsville, Minnesota. However, I'll be moving to the downstairs room to our newly constructed third bedroom, which will become my studio and office very soon so that our new tiny human can have this existing room. All we have to do at this point is tape and mud the drywall, paint, and move my stuff downstairs, and we'll be ready to go. This week's episode is excellent, but it did go a bit longer than I expected. It's a lot of good stuff, but I will keep this intro very short. If you're a regular listener, you know that I have my own streaming business in which I cover Twin Cities area high school sports for Lakeville North High School and now for Shakopee High School as well. As I mentioned in the last episode, I was waiting for an announcement that came last week from the Minnesota State High School League, and they voted to move football and volleyball from the fall to the spring, while continuing to allow soccer, swimming and diving, tennis, and cross-country in the fall. Why was that their decision? Who knows? Ultimately, it doesn't matter because I have no control over that. What it does mean for me is that I will have something to broadcast. We'll be covering soccer for one of the schools, at least swimming, and probably doing feature stories and interviews uh, with cross-country and tennis athletes. As far as sponsorship goes, I'm really going to have to think outside of the box and find ways to keep sponsors, but just like so much this year, I'll dig in, press on, and just hope to come out better next year and do the best we can in the meantime. And that's it. This week's guest is Ted Emmerich, who broadcasts for ESPN, Westwood One, and Fox Sports Southwest, and it seems like just about every other outlet at one point or another. And Ted, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Logan, I appreciate it. It's great to be on with you. And uh, yes, uh, anywhere that uh, there's any kind of competition, especially uh, these days, I am absolutely open uh, to doing games. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Uh, What are you doing for work right now? Are you picking up games? I know you were just working on the, the PGA Championship for Westwood One. Have you kept it busy during uh, the pandemic as much as can be expected anyway? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's really not that much going on, uh, as we know. And and I will say, uh, the summer is usually a lighter time for me anyway. It gets really busy in the fall, winter, and spring, of course, rolling from football right into college basketball and uh, but but by the time that uh, May, you know, really late April, early May comes around, uh, it, it's it's actually uh, pretty light. So uh, it, it's not really that unlike uh, previous summers uh, outside of the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, just professionally speaking. Uh, it was good to to have the PGA, the, the fact that the PGA Tour was able to get back to it in mid-June and uh, at least bring about some sense of normalcy was so positive. And, uh, you know, I I was scheduled to go to San Francisco back in May. Of course, that didn't happen. You postpone it about three months, and uh, it was a unique setup uh, to do updates for Westwood One affiliates all four days. was able to do it uh, here where I live in the Dallas area. And, uh, it was, it was just nice to have an event on the calendar. Uh, who knows what the fall will bring? Um, you know, we, we all just hope for the best, obviously, no matter what level of football or, you know, pick your sport, whatever it may be, we're all hoping for the best, certainly, but, uh, you know, it's all good. I'm just, I, I was glad to get back to it last weekend. I've talked with different broadcasters about doing games off of monitors in the past, but I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about doing golf uh, remotely. Are there any unique challenges to that sport with just the size of of the course and everything that you need to see? How difficult is it to follow the ball and just make the connections that you need to make? Sure. And and I will say what I was doing for Westwood One was a little bit different. It was not play-by-play. Uh, it was doing one minute updates uh, two times, sometimes three times an hour uh, late in the day from Thursday through Sunday. So uh, it is a bit different. I will tell you, though, for uh, Westwood Ones and Sirius XM's hole by hole coverage of the championship, uh, there were some people who were on the course like Kevin Kugler, uh, the great Kevin Kugler, who I absolutely love uh, his work is uh, just brilliant as we all know um he was there and uh you know that that is so good when you can have a talent like that as strong as he is uh to be the roving uh play-by-play type to follow a certain group and i mean he was there when colin morikawa uh tapped in his par uh to win the first major of 2020 uh, there were others on the crew, though, that were not in San Francisco and they were at home. And, and you're right. I'm right there with you, Logan. That that would be a challenge um, to just do it off a monitor, even with all the great angles that you get, whether it be from ESPN's coverage or certainly CBS's coverage on the weekend. Um, and, and I've, I've done things off the monitor before. It's just different. It, it just is, as we can all understand, uh, when you don't have that full view when, and especially doing it on radio, on TV, listen, you are, you are watching what the, uh, the viewer is watching, uh, at home if you are doing it remotely. Uh, and from the, uh, television perspective, of course, 
you know, listen, you're not uh, describing every little bit, but on radio where you want to paint that full picture, uh, it presents a little more of a challenge. I made a couple calls to a couple different people that we both know to get some some stories and just kind of learn a little bit about you doing some research beyond Google. And one of the first people I chatted with was Howard Denneroff to talk about the experience <laughs> of hiring you as, I believe, a 15 or 16-year-old to yeah. be a spotter for a bowl game <laughs> that they had. And just yes. kind of hearing his story of how that came about uh, was was definitely interesting and eye-opening. Uh, tell that from your side. Take us through the process of getting hired as a spotter, I believe with uh, Chuck Cooperstein for the Fort Worth Bowl. And was it on Christmas? It, it was It was close to it. Uh, it was in December. Uh, I, I can tell you that actually the first game was a few months prior. It was a regular season Thursday night game at TCU. I believe it was TCU and Louisville uh, when uh, both were still in Conference USA, I, if I'm uh, if I'm remembering correctly. But yes, I, I was 16 years old. I was a junior in high school and uh, I was already uh, working professionally, if you can call it that. Let's put it in quotation marks, but just getting paid. That's professional um, uh, doing stuff around DFW with high school football. But as it turns out, the guy that I was working for uh, had a connection to Howie and uh, brought my name up at a Cowboys game that Howie was uh, producing uh, for Westwood One. And uh, they they apparently were looking for spotters, uh, statisticians uh, in the DFW area for, you know, whatever game might pop through. And Howie decided to try me out on a college game at TCU. And, you know, I I mean, I remember listening to, to Chuck uh, doing uh, Chuck Cooperstein doing the NCAA tournament for so many years on Westwood one before he uh, landed the job as the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, he is just outstanding. And so I, I was certainly nervous going in because as we know, the spotters role, you want to make the play by play announcer sound his or her best. Uh, that's, that's what you are there to do. You are the second pair of eyes. And for football, it is so critical uh, especially depending on your the sight line, where where is the booth? Uh, and so at, at TCU, you are so high up. It, you know, this is obviously before uh, Eamon Carter was uh, renovated. You are sky high, and uh, I, I felt pretty good about it. Uh, I, I I remember Chuck was very pleased. But the uh, the best part of the story is probably as Howie and I were going back and forth. Um, and he was going to hire me and he, uh, he left a message, uh, you know, back when we had answering machines, remember those things. Um, and on the message, uh, it said, I think I was the one who did it right. Of course, again, I'm in high school at the time, you know, you've reached Roger, Chris and Ted Emmerich, right. And leave your message after the beep, whatever. And so Howie gets me on the phone. I call him back. And you know, first of all, I call him Mr. Denneroff. And he says, please never call me that again. I'm Howie. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. And he says at the end, hey, Ted, one more question. Um, I heard on your message, Roger, Chris, and Ted Emmerich, do you still live with your parents? 
not, not, not that, you know, not that I have anything against that. I'm just curious. And I say, well, yes, I do. I, I'm, I'm in high school. He says, what? <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> and I tell him, you know, I'm 16. And he says, you've done this before, right? You, you've, you, you've been a spotter before. And like, yeah, I've been doing it since middle school, you know, whether it be for, uh, my dad who worked for so many years, um, doing high school football in the state of Texas on the, the Texas state network and KRLD. And he says, well, you, you know what you're doing, right? It's like, yes, I, I do. I <laughs> like, am I missing anything? I did. I, I certainly didn't want to take a tone with him, but, and you can understand where he was coming from. Like, uh, I don't think he had, uh, hired somebody at that age before. And so now I really, I've really got to prove myself. I want to make sure that uh, I'm doing this right. And, uh, it, it just meant so much to me that Chuck was pleased how he called him afterward, you know, Hey, I was the kid, you know, excellent, whatever. Um, and, uh, we just moved on from there. And for, for years after Logan, I, I, I loved it so much. I loved spotting for Westwood One broadcasts. I got to work with so many tremendous announcers uh, from Coop to the likes of Dave Sims to Marv Albert uh, when he was doing Monday Night Football uh, for Westwood One and, and, of course, the Super Bowl for many years before Kevin Harlan took it over. Um, uh, Kevin Kugler, even I, I spotted for him, uh, at, uh, a Texas OU game when he was doing college football before he got the, uh, Sunday night package, of course, for Westwood one. Um, it just, it, it was like going to school. It was like another class. And I got to see how these guys put together their boards, how they prep their routines on a game day how they handle the crew, how they interact, how they uh, engage their analyst. And uh, that time was so valuable for me. I, I, I did that all, you know, the last two years of high school and, and throughout college before I really started to do this uh, for real myself. I want to see if you remember this moment the same way, because when I was visiting with Howie, he said, you know what? Uh, I knew this guy was young. We were watching him pretty close to make sure he could do it. And there was a big moment. He thinks it was an interception about five plays into the first game and that it was a shielded number. No one else knew who it was, and you were pointing to a number right away. And they said, you know, just uh, don't point if you don't know for sure. And you're like, I know. Yes. And, and it, was, yeah, it was that was the point I, where they are like, okay, well, this guy's good. And he figured yeah. it out uh, through some other means. Yeah, if I if I remember right. Uh, it was the 2006 Cowboys Giants Monday night game at Texas Stadium. So you know, Marv Albert usually has his own spotter that that travels, um, you know, to to every every game, every site. But uh, for whatever reason, he was not available, and Howie uh, decided to put me in there. And I I remember I. I show up and I, I meet Marv, so gracious, uh, so kind, generous with his time. Uh, we go over signals, which you usually do when you uh, work with uh, a new spotter. You know, hey, this is what I'm comfortable with. You know, that Marv is telling me what he, you know, for a forced fumble or a tipped pass or whatever it may be. Uh, getting on the same page, that's so important. 
and he introduces me to uh, Boomer Esiason, of course, who he's uh, who he's working with. And, uh, you know, he says, Boomer, this is uh, our uh, our spotter, uh, Ted Emmerich. Uh, he comes highly recommended. And uh, Boomer says, hey, how the hell are you? Don't F up tonight. And he just went back to his notes. <laughs> and OK, that's that's where we are. Great. And if I'm trying to remember the name as I get to that interception, but it was the game where Bill Parcells, head coach of the Cowboys, of course, at that time, uh, pulled Drew Bledsoe at halftime. And it was the debut of Tony Romo. And sure enough, Romo comes in and he throws a pick six. And I think it was, am I getting it right, Kevin Dockery. Yes, Kevin Dockery of the Giants. I'm almost positive that was the guy. And I was on it. Like this was their nickel corner or fourth corner at the time. And uh, I pointed, I saw it. I saw the number. I was on top of it. Marv called it. It's dried. And, uh, you know, Howie, of course, is producing the game. It was a Monday night game. And everyone was pleased. And that just, that means so much. Like, again, I, at that point, I am a sophomore in college. And it's like, that's, you just can't get that wrong as a spotter. You can't get that wrong. You have to be sure, like, like you were uh, talking about what Howie said. It, you, you would rather be late than be wrong uh, as a spotter. But I, I saw it. I saw it clearly with my binoculars, you know, way up high there at Texas Stadium. And, Marv called it a great highlight. Being a spotter is obviously not what you strive to do, and it's not a necessarily a common way of getting into um, a broadcast progression. But what skills outside of the obvious of being able to quickly recognize players when you're actually doing play-by-play, are there any other skills that transfer from being a spotter and being in that position that you think help you now that you're actually behind the mic? You know, Logan, I I think, uh, you know, first of all, I go back to the experience that I mentioned, just being around those announcers. Uh, Ian Eagle was another one who I have learned so much from and and the relationship started uh, with me spotting for him. Uh, both on Westwood One games and occasionally on games that he had for CBS. Um, again, just seeing how they prepare and, and what, what do they have on their board? Uh, what, and it, it's so, it can be so difficult for, for many of us. Do you want to reach out to the, to these guys and, and women? Like, do you, uh, you don't want to bother them. You don't want to pester them, but, you you hope that they are generous enough with their time that that they would help the the next wave and so i to get that kind of hands-on experience next to them even though obviously the only way to truly improve is by doing it yourself uh that that is one way to go about it uh, the other thing is is just having that mindset of sometimes you know maybe you got to be your own spotter and you know, I, I don't, I, I admire Kevin Harlan so much. I, when I found out that he does not use a spotter, my mind was blown. Uh, it's funny when, when Kevin took over for Marv, uh, doing Monday Night Football for Westwood One, 
Uh, it was 2009, and uh, at that point, Cowboy Stadium, later, of course, now known as AT&T Stadium, just opened. And the Cowboys had an early Monday night game against the Panthers, and Howie uh, and his staff hired me for the game to spot for Kevin. But they weren't really aware at the time that uh, Kevin doesn't really use one. In fact, he never uses a spotter. And uh, I think they were getting hints at that point a few weeks into the season, but they still hired me just in case, and they let me know hey, we're not really sure, like maybe he'll use you. It's a, it's a tough angle at, at the new stadium, you know, kind of from the end zone. Um, just come out and, you know, worst case scenario, you can just hang out and, and you know, listen with headphones and take notes. And that's exactly what I did. Now, Kevin, again, could not have been uh, better about it, um, you know, thanking me for my time. I, I really don't use a spotter, but you know, you're welcome to hang out. And again, he's so, so friendly and, and has been, uh, every time since that, that I've interacted with him, but, uh, he's, he's got the eagle eyes. It's incredible how he does it. I just, I can't, I'm not like that. Um, even I, I have my own set of binoculars, but you know, I, I want to trust that person next to me as well for the things that I can't pick up. All of that said, I have to be responsible for a good chunk of that. I have to be able to pick up who carried the ball, who caught the ball at the at the bare minimum, uh, the offensive action of the play, if you will. You know, listen, I, I I can't identify in the pileup who was the first one to meet him. You know, who who was the first a defensive player to to hit him. Um, and, and that's where you have a trusted spotter by your side, or again, perhaps who, uh, deflected that pass at the line of scrimmage, who not only recovered that fumble, but who forced it, you know, a, uh, a grade, a spotter will be able to detect all of that in the moment. Um, and Kevin takes care of all that himself. That's, that's what makes him <laughs> that much more special. Uh, but it, it just that idea of being able to follow the ball, number one, and picking out those numbers and the memorization that it requires to be on top of it. Um, that's that was really important and was drilled into me uh, during my time as a spotter. For those who don't know, which probably most people listening who are in touch with the industry do, you're the son of a Texas radio hall of famer and public address announcer, longtime. Uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, Roger Emmerich, who obviously sadly passed away last year. But uh, what would you say as far as the the influence of growing up around your father and having that that radio gene in your blood, how much of that affected you taking the path that you eventually did? I, I was exposed to it at such an early age, and that that means so much just to just to get a taste of it, uh, being able to tag along with him to uh, a random Cowboys game that he was covering, uh, you know, in the the early 2000s. I remember uh, the time when T.O. was celebrating on the star and George Teague knocked him down and Emmett later scores a touchdown and Emmett plants the football right on the star. This is our house. Like I remember that as a as a kid just turning to my dad with the wide eyes and mouth agape and like this is incredible. And, you know, that's 
that's why I wanted to go into play by play, which was just a, a little bit of a different track than my dad. My dad certainly did a lot of, of play by play, but man, I, I wanted to put all of my attention and focus there. Uh, I, not so much about, uh, you know, a, a pregame show. Okay. What's going to happen today or a postgame show? What just happened or a talk show during the week? Okay. What does it all mean and what's next and all of that good stuff or, you know, anchoring sports casts or anything. Th- those are all valuable skills, of course. And, and my dad did them all. Uh, but I, I, I just felt being in the moment and calling a game, documenting something that is happening in front of you, that challenge being on the air for two and a half, three, three and a half, four hours, uh, without a safety net, um, there is such a rush as we know it is <laughs> such a challenge there is no such thing as a perfect broadcast but we all still chase it and that was the allure of play by play for me and um you know i i'm so thankful that i was just able to be around the environment at an early age uh thanks to my dad it, it's funny logan he he actually discouraged me at first, like, you know, go into something that pays. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it, he wasn't lying, especially early on. We, we all know how difficult it is. Um, but I, I just, I loved it so much. And I, I was so thankful that I was able to learn so many things that go beyond just on the air, um, how to treat people. Um, that was number one with my dad. N- nobody would have a single bad word to say about him. Um, he, he never met a stranger. Uh, that's for sure. And, you know, getting, getting that Cowboys job, the, the public address job at AT&T stadium for the last eight years of his life, that was the crowning achievement for him. That, that, that was the honor of his life. Um, you know, with his voice, his pipes, it, it just belonged and yeah, I certainly miss him, but, but I know he's uh, still with me to this day. One time shortly afterwards, I believe you actually got to fill in, uh, for Brad Sham doing a Cowboys game and obviously it's not the exact same thing, but, you know, doing something, uh, with your voice, hearing it in that stadium, did that feel like a tribute to him to get that opportunity? It did in so many ways. And just, it was last year. It was just last fall, even if that feels like a decade ago uh, at this time. Uh, it was for the Cowboys and Saints on a Sunday night in New Orleans. So it was not at, at uh, Jerry World, but it was that much more significant because my dad grew up in New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans was the city where my mom and dad met. It's where they got married. Uh, so, and it's where I still have family to this day. So the fact that, okay, first of all, you have Brad Sham, who is an icon, who is one of the best to ever do it. Uh, and it's still right up there to this day. Uh, I believe 2020 will be his 42nd season as the voice of the Cowboys. Uh, just an unbelievable run. 
he doesn't miss games, Logan. Uh, in, I believe it is now twice in 41 plus years that he has missed a game. And the first time was 2015. Uh, for in both cases, it was because he was observing a Jewish holiday, which I certainly respect. I mean, how many people would actually do that? But his faith means so much to him. Um, and that's just wonderful and awe inspiring. Um, the first time was 2015 and, uh, they brought in some guy named Vern Lundquist. Uh, oh, by the way, Brad Sham's predecessor as the radio play-by-play voice of the Cowboys. And this time around, they called me. And that that was such an honor just to get that phone call. And Brad was so supportive on top of that. Um, I, I went to the Cowboys game the previous week when they played the Dolphins at home. Uh, just to get a handle on things, the dynamics in the booth and meeting everyone. A lot of them I knew already, uh, like Christy Scales, you know, one of the best sideline reporters, uh, forget in the league, like in, in all of sports, I would say she doesn't get near enough uh, love for what she has done. And especially as a pioneer, I would say Babe Loffenberg, uh, just a tremendous analyst, Bob Thomas, uh, on stats has been with Brad for so many years and I've been fortunate to work with Bob on a few other events for uh, ESPN and Westwood one. Uh, it, it's a great crew. Danny miles, the producer, just one of the best crews you can imagine. Ted Nichols pain uh, as the, the engineer. And by the way, I want to give a shout out to him. He is battling COVID-19 right now and uh, was in really, really rough shape last week. And thank goodness it, it seems like, and he's been posting all of this on Facebook, so I'm not betraying his confidence. Uh, he, he wanted to make it public and, uh, he is doing a lot, lot better, which is great to see. Um, he's a fighter, that's for sure. And I'm glad that TNP, uh, is doing better. He's one of the best engineers I've ever worked with. So you have that crew and you're putting on Brad Sham's headset. And the point is, you just want to be able to do the moment justice and you want to be able to do that crew justice and make sure there's not a huge drop off uh, from Brad. And, you know, it just it it all came together over the course of like I got the call in August, <laughs> Logan, uh, you know, like, wow, OK, let's let's get ready for this. You know, it, it's the first NFL game I've ever done. Uh, it has been all high school and college football up to this point. I had never done an NFL game and, um, I will say, I, I wish it had been higher scoring. <laughs> you, listen, you can't, uh, you can't predict how things will go. You certainly, uh, you would love for a shootout with all of those guys on the field, whether it be Dak and Zeke and Amari Cooper and Drew Brees. Well, not Drew Brees. He was injured actually at that time. Uh, yeah, Bridgewater at, at quarterback, but still Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and all those guys. Uh, the Saints winning 12 to 10, like it was still close. It was still dramatic. Uh, but, uh, I, I just, it's a night I'll never forget. And I just, I remember taking that moment right before kickoff and I, I think I said something like, uh, uh, and and tying it in with uh, with Babe, uh, who had lost his son Luke to cancer, um, you know, just a few months prior. Um, I, I've 
I, I like to think that we bonded over that, just a sense of loss, someone who we loved so much in our families. Um, I, I just, I forgot exactly what I said, but, um, you know, just from my perspective, I knew that, uh, my mom and dad certainly were, were still with me and, you know, then there was the approach and, and off we went. But it, it, I just felt that my mom and dad were like right behind me, like over each shoulder. I could, I could feel their presence even more than usual. Um, and so that, that was so special to me. Um, the, just to get the chance to, to do that game and, and felt really good about it was so was really knocked down by the feedback afterwards. It was really positive. And, um, you know, it, that's a night that will live with me forever. Contrast that with the other professional fill in game that, that I at least know about that you were able to do where you filled in for Ted Davis of the Milwaukee Bucks on very, very short notice and did the second half of the game is the story I was told. Yeah. Talk about that, getting that, that opportunity late notice the day of and having to figure out how to be prepared and uh, be ready for something that may or may not happen. Man, yeah. talk about coming out of nowhere. Like I thought – you know, in getting a call in August and, and then, uh, referring to the Cowboys and then finally hearing the final go ahead in September, just a couple of weeks out. Okay. You've got the gig, you know, start preparing with, uh, with the Mavs and Bucks in December of 2014. Um, it was literally getting a call from Chuck Cooperstein, uh, the radio voice of the Mavs, of course, like we talked about. And it went to voicemail. Um, I, I'm just chilling on the couch with my wife. We're watching Netflix. It, it's middle of the afternoon. And I see my phone, and, you know, miss call voicemail. It's like, I, what is this? You know, it's like it's a game day. Like what, you know, so I call Chuck back and he says, can you get down here? <laughs> Where? The AAC. For what? <laughs> uh Ted Davis is uh it might not be up for this tonight. He's got a really bad cold and he might need you. He might need somebody out of the bullpen. You know, how quickly can you get here? And I I'm there, Chuck. Thank you. Like Chuck is the one who brought my name up. Ted had asked him, uh, you know, is there anybody locally who could take over for me? And uh, Ted's idea was I'm going to give this a go. But if my voice just isn't there, I'm going to tap out and hand it off to whoever. But I, I need a backup. I need somebody on site, you know, and, and right from the start of the game. So immediately I get off the phone. I just I go upstairs. I find one of my blank score sheets and I start writing in names like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> and like it just it, that that was surreal uh, on its own obviously this is a very young Giannis a young Greek freak at the time and and Dirk in the twilight of his career but just writing those names down uh, that that's something that sticks with you and like this is new okay you know getting to call a game involving Dirk uh, and just trying to fill in just a little bit, just off the top of my head. I mean, you know, listen, I, if it was some random high school game, I will say, Logan, it would have been far more challenging, 
just from the prep perspective. But being in Dallas, growing up a Mavs fan and still following the team on a regular basis, uh, I'm able to at the very least just I, I say to myself, OK, this is radio. Let's remember that uh, nuts and bolts. Uh, I'm working alone. There is no analyst. Uh, Ted Davis works alone on the road, uh, with the bucks. So it's just, we are calling the game identification location, say the damn score, uh, as we know, Logan, and uh, just go from there. Uh, find a few bite-sized nuggets, uh, along the way. I can have some time to look through the notes. Um, I'm not uh, weaving some grand tale or, you know, moving through a uh, graphics package on television or, you know, doing something like that, that, you know, you have production meetings for. Uh, I'm calling the game and just be faithful to the action in front of me. So I I will say there is something to the beauty of the uncluttered mind. Like all the pressure is off. Like on one hand, you could have that attitude of, oh, my God, you know, I've never done an NBA game before. And what am I going to do? And, you know, how many people are, you know, some guy from Dallas is on the Milwaukee Bucks radio network. How are they going to take to me? And like enough of that. You know, I've done this several times, like, uh, you know, years and years now. And, yes, it's been high school football or high school basketball. And I mean, at that point I had not even been hired by Westwood one to do uh, college football or college basketball. So my experience was nothing but high school sports at that point. And I just go into it. Like I, it's still hoops. I can do this, you know? Uh, yes, of course the pace of the game is uh, going to be at an, you know, 11 on the scale uh, compared to anything else that I've done, but stick with it. Just it's radio. You can do this. And, you know, I show up and you know, again, put on my suit, you know, head down there and see Chuck, thank him, uh, so much for recommending me meet with Ted. And I mean, his voice was shot, uh, already. And, uh, the broadcast had not even started. Uh, but Ted said, listen, I'm going to give this a go. And I, I think I have something. And I, I was thinking like, what exactly do you think you have at this point? But sure enough, Ted, you know, he, he battled, he fought and he worked his way through the entire first half. And he told me, you know, I, I want your help. Like do all of the live reads, uh, all the drop-ins, um, you know, handle halftime for me. That would be a huge help. Hey, just getting on the air on an NBA broadcast, it, that's that's a big step. I'll take it. You know, I can put something on the tape, uh, on the reel uh, from that. So I, I do all of that. I even get Chuck uh, Cooperstein for the uh, the halftime interview. He was very gracious there. Uh, and by the time the third quarter rolled around, like there there was definitely a drop off in the quality of voice for Ted. And around the first time out of the third quarter, he says, I, I'm done. It's all yours. I'm done. And I take over, like coming out of break, he introduces me and off we go. And it, it was wild. Like again, had just taking the first minute or so to adjust to the pace of the game. But man, it was so much fun. Just you, you talk about. I mentioned without a, a safety net earlier that that is play by play in a nutshell. I mean, this 
when you when you don't have any time to prepare i mean th- there is absolutely no parachute it is flying by the seat of your pants and it was such a thrill uh to do that but i i felt really good about it all things considered and i i got a, a cd of it from ted he mailed it to me uh, for some reason couldn't you know get an mp3 of it from the station or the flagship whatever he sends me a cd and I listened back to it I'm like, you know, this isn't that bad. And I, I just, I, I sent it off to Howie. Just, I, I wanted his thoughts. I, I wanted his feedback. Um, you know, am I crazy here? And he really liked it. And that, that meant so much to me. Like uh, Howie's ear, as, as we, Logan, you certainly know it. And, and many people who, who listen to your podcast, I mean, he, I mean, he is one of the titans, uh, in this industry and I respect him so so much uh and he has certainly done so much for me and and my career um the fact that that he liked it and and eventually again he hired me the next year uh to do games um i had had a relationship with them and just doing uh olympic stuff which which was a huge step forward but i had not been hired yet to do a, a college football or college basketball game any of their other properties and um you know, from what he told me later, that tape uh, really pushed my name forward in his eyes. So that meant so much. You give a great opportunity to segue to your Olympics coverage. And if I read correctly, I think you've been at three of them, right? That's it. You're okay. right. Uh, London in 2012, Sochi in 2014, and Rio in 2016. And let's, and let's start with all the 2012 of them one. So special. Start with the 2012 one because just both reading and, like I said, I visited with Howie first. He said that he hired you as, you know, we're going to let you do a couple interviews, but mostly uh, you're going to be editing tape and producing. And by the end, uh, that had completely flipped to where they were impressed with your work and you weren't doing any producing. Uh, What do you think you did that was able to really impressed them in that short time at that moment. Yeah, my, my, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the position was, uh, Ted, you're going to be a reporter slash producer, but really you're going to be a producer. You, you might get on the air here and there doing an interview or two, but uh, don't count on it. Just, you know, we, we need an extra hand to, to help produce. And this is the first time that I would have any kind of opportunity to be on the air with with Westwood one again and again the the first obviously first time getting a break uh of that caliber um uh, for a <laughs> for a network um whatever they had thrown my way I would have gladly accepted uh and oh by the way you get to travel to London I mean come on um, and it's the Olympics and just, yeah, you're going in as, as the cub reporter type, uh, just, just trying not to make a fool of yourself. And I remember, uh, the first few events that I covered, uh, involved archery. <laughs> so, and again, they have, you had Kevin Kugler doing team USA basketball, uh, and eventually, uh, track and field you had, uh, somebody else doing swimming. You had somebody else doing gymnastics and again, respected national voices. And so I got to cover 
anything else wherever there was a story. So very early on, that was archery, just how the calendar fell. And the U.S. had a medal contender named Brady Ellison. Um, I believe he won uh, individual silver that year, if my memory serves. And, you know, the, the first thing I cut, it's at the, uh, the, the, the cricket ground uh, there in London. And, you know, it's a, it's a qualifying round and I'm able to do post round interviews. And again, they tell me, uh, you know, go see what you can grab. And if it's good, we'll run it, you know, tonight on, on the recap show. And, uh, Mike Eby, uh, of course, who has been at Westwood one for so many years, a, a coordinating producer, uh, who works with Howie, um, he he really uh, runs the Olympic coverage right there along with Howie. And Mike was really pleased. He uh, he liked it. And a few days in after doing those interviews um, and and doing the uh, little uh, voicers that would air during the short form updates for affiliates, little 10 to 15 second uh, updates um, that were anchored at the time by John Todges, the, the late great John Todges. Um, Mike pulled me aside and said, you know, yeah, don't forget, don't worry about that producer stuff. You know, we're going to, we're going to send you out. You're going to be on the air every day now. And to, to fully answer your question, Logan, I, I'd like to think that it was the, the quality of those interviews and the quality of those, those updates. And again, I, I, you're just trying to put into practice what you've learned. Um, you know, asking open-ended questions, not asking the yes or no questions that uh, give the athlete or the coach an out. Um, and, and the good thing, too, is, Logan, with with Olympic athletes and even more than that, the Olympic athletes who don't grab the spotlight like uh, gymnastics or swimming or track and field or certainly Team USA basketball um, – they love to talk. This is their only time on a worldwide stage is every four years. Um, and so usually you, you, you have very engaging subjects uh, to deal with. So, you know, to, to just go back and forth for two minutes with, you know, again, this guy, most of America doesn't know Brady Ellison, but he's got a really cool story. And we're able to explore that just a little bit in that interview in that time. And, um, you know, eventually they put me on more and more stuff. When you're going in to do a short interview with the archery contestant from the United States of America, I'm assuming, I guess I don't know that, yeah. Brady Ellison, yes. do you yeah. to do you just ask kind of general questions and then try to zoom in based on his answers? Or are you able to, do you know you're going to be talking to him beforehand specifically? And were you able to do research? So the way it works at the Olympics is you, you, you don't have uh, – it's not like the – I mean it's funny to call it the American setup, but you, you talk with uh, any reporter from uh, Sweden or you know, take your pick, uh, Ireland, it doesn't matter. Like the, the mixed zone setup, which is used for Olympics and, and World Cup, a lot of FIFA events, uh, that, that's how it is across the world. Where the athlete passes through, media members, reporters, and the like are behind a uh, uh, a a barricade that's about waist high, and the athlete doesn't have to stop. Uh, you can request, you know, hey Brady, you know, Ted Emmerich, NBC Radio, do you have a couple of minutes? 
they don't have to say yes. They and, and this is this happened to me all all three times. Like sometimes they just pass on through. Uh, I will say when you have that uh, Westwood One slash NBC Radio, and that's what we use. We partner with uh, NBC for the Olympics, and so we're able to call ourselves NBC Radio. Uh, that's strategic, I would say, um, because. Of course, most athletes would recognize that and would probably be more likely to stop as a result to do an interview with us after they do NBC TV. So we're right. Th- I'm right there. And you just you, you shoot your shot, so to speak. And if they stop, you usually get 90 seconds to two minutes. There is somebody with Olympic Broadcasting Services that is right next to the athlete uh, in addition to their uh, press officer, and and they're there to to push things along. Uh, for instance, you know, in Sochi, when I got Sean White to stop after he finished fourth and off the podium uh, in in the half pipe, um, that was a one minute interview. That was two questions because everyone wanted to talk to Sean White, and I'll give Sean White credit, even after that disappointment. He stopped and talked with just about everyone and, you know, and not just NBC and Westwood One, you know, know, take your pick, whatever outlet from, you know, uh, pick your country uh, he stopped for. So uh, at that point, you're right. You have to be able to focus in. You also have to prepare for many different results, like maybe the unimaginable happens. And yes, Sean White does not even win a medal. And so you go in and you're thinking, okay, you know, he's going to get the three-peat here. He's going to win gold. He did it in Torino in 06. He did it in Vancouver in 2010. Like, he's the favorite. This is what's going to happen, you know. And you cannot uh, be swayed by that. You have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to ad-lib. You know, you can't can't force it, obviously. Like, the guy just finished fourth. And so I – at, in that kind of moment, um, I'm just I'm trying to take the approach of okay, what is simple? Like I I don't need a question that demonstrates my vast knowledge of half pipe snowboarding or of Sean White's life and career, and I'm not writing a novel here. I don't need some uh, incredible uh, setup filled with storytelling. I, I need to get to the heart of the matter. On top of that, I only have so much time. And if I remember right, like my my question was simply, what happened? Like I, I just, I, you know, I, I think there might have been uh, one sentence before that. Like what happened? Open-ended question. Let's get right to it. And he gave a great answer. And it's funny. There was a moment in that interview where um, uh, Chris Collinsworth, of all people, interrupts the interview and uh, like you just at at this point you just roll with it chris collinsworth was there of course uh with with nbc and he was a part of their olympics coverage a little bit that year and chris interrupted the interview and i got it on mic at least part of it he said sean you got the heart of a champion man you got the heart of a champion and I just stick my mic in and like my second, okay, like this is it. And the, the OBS person is telling me one more, just one more, even with that interruption. Um, I, I just, you know, I just described the scene, like how he always stresses to you, describe the scene. If, if something like that happens, like for instance, if he had won gold, you know, Sean, you've got the, 
the American flag draped around your shoulders, that gold medal around your neck, you know, whatever. And then your question, like, help give the listener, take the listener there, right? Uh, even in the interview setting, you can do that. It's not full fledged play by play, but still set the scene. Um, and I just mentioned, you know, Chris, Chris Collinsworth, you know, stopping by what, what did he tell you? What did that mean to you? You know, whatever, something like that. Um, you just, you got to roll with it in those interview settings. You never know who or what's going to show up. I'll give you another one more example. This one's much shorter. 2012, uh, Olympics. Uh, I believe it was the semifinals, uh, for the U S and, uh, in basketball and, uh, Kobe just went off in the third quarter. Like, as we know, you know, any, any particular game, one of those superstars uh, can get hot and be the story. You know, one night it would be Carmelo. One night it would be Kobe. You know, another night it would be this guy, you know, whoever, KD. Um, and this was this was Kobe's game to get them to the, the gold medal game against Spain. And I'm never expecting Kobe to stop. Like I was told ahead of time, hey, you know, it, it's nothing against us. Team USA guys, they usually just stop uh, for TV and then they go to the locker room. Okay, but you still got to be there just in case. And so I'm right there and near the end of the line after TV and I say, Kobe, NBC radio, you know, you got you got a minute. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And got like a minute, minute 15 with Kobe Bryant that like that's that's something I never imagined <laughs> going into the London Olympics. Um, you know, we had, we had a little fun about how the, the Mamba came out. You know, he had a nice line and a little back and forth and, you know, obviously rest in peace. And um, but it was uh, I, I would not trade Logan uh, not to be all long winded, which I certainly have been. But. It just it brings back so many memories. Um, I would not trade those experiences for anything. I, I, I feel like I really grew up uh, at London, Sochi, and then in Rio getting the opportunity to do play-by-play for one of those major events. Getting the chance to do Olympic track and field in Rio, that was such a great honor. And that's what is next on uh, kind of my agenda to talk about was – doing Usain Bolt's last Olympics and going into that race, knowing that whatever happens, it's a huge moment. I guess, how do I want to phrase this? What is going through your mind as far as handling that pressure? And what are some of the keys that you have found to successfully frame those big moments? First of all, just trying to get the rhythm the pace and the description of track and field down. Um, and again, doing it on the radio there, there, it's not like there's a template for that. Um, so in, in the weeks, the months leading up to the Rio Olympics, I, I am watching YouTube video after YouTube video, all different races. And again, this, trust me, I, I would circle back obviously to, 
the men's 100, the 200, and and of course the four by 100 meter relay. Like I've got to nail those because uh, guess who's involved? Usain Bolt. But uh, just trying to get a handle for all the track and field events that I would be calling. Um, you know, how exactly do you do that? And how do I how do I impart to the listener? Uh, who's in the lead and the concept of making up the stagger, uh, early on, uh, you know, in the, the 200 or the 400 meter, 800, whatever it may be, all of those little things while also, uh, making sure that, uh, it doesn't devolve into track and field jargon that I'm picking up along the way. I still have to be able to communicate that clear message for the casual listener, uh, you know, Hey, this is, this is, this is a race. Okay. <laughs> we don't have to get into all the technical terms. I will say number one, I was so blessed to have Carol Lewis by my side. Uh, of course, an Olympian herself, uh, Carl's sister, uh, had, has done so much work for, uh, NBC, uh, over the years. And, uh, we were privileged to have her on the team in Rio, a great analyst. Um, she was on top of it throughout. And so, first of all, when you get beyond the 100 meters, you know, you can lean on her here and there to actually jump in with just a little bit of analysis, a little bit of color, and then I can take over, you know, and especially obviously for the last 50 meters or so when you're calling the result of the race as they, they come toward the finish. But we settled into our rhythm pretty early on, uh, doing the, uh, the, the preliminary heats, the semifinals and all that. And, and by the time we get to the finals, the moment that, uh, you brought up, now I'm comfortable. Now I feel good about, I'm, I'm no expert, obviously, but I can get through this race and I can do it justice. You know, I, I can, I can handle this. And again, just describe what you see. That is what Howie has always stressed, uh, for any Olympic event. You know, if, if it's half pipe snowboarding, I don't need to, you don't have to tell me that it's the, uh, uh, double McTwist 1260 or that it's the YOLO flip. Like, what does that mean to a listener? Again, strong action verbs, paint that vivid picture. He's helicoptering. Uh, she's twirling in the air, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, he, he cruises to the finish line. Um, uh, he, uh, you know, uh, puts the hammer down, you know, slows up near the end in a semifinal heat, whatever it may be, saving himself for the, for the finals later tonight, whatever, whatever it is. So I, I feel good at, at that point. And honestly, Logan, I, I can't think about pressure. Or man, I've I've really got to nail this because uh, then it, it's the just the psychology of that. Then any little stumble leads to a second one and a third one and a fourth one. And then it's ruined. And by the way, it's so quick, it's gone before you know it. Obviously, under ten seconds in the case of the men's one hundred meters. And so you're just you're just trying to pick out. I mean, you you know who's involved. You know where Bolt is. But is there any other element of description that I can add other than Usain Bolt out in front, Usain Bolt wins it? Like, that's not good enough. I need a little more. I need action verbs. And and just the way that race played out, Justin Gatlin from the U.S. 
got off to a great start out of the gate. And I was able to note that again, all under 10 seconds. Uh, listen, I, I have no idea if it was a, a great, great call, but at the very least, I'm going to call what I see and I'm going to provide the appropriate captions at the end. Of course, Bolt wins. Um, and you just, you, it's not scripting anything out. Obviously, that's just not genuine. It's not authentic. But you have to be prepared for that moment when he wins three gold medals in a row uh, at the Olympics in the 100 meters. And he does it again in the 200. And then Jamaica does it in the 400 meter relay, which means that Bolt goes nine for nine and absolutely is one of the greatest Olympians of all time. So you have to be prepared to uh, put that ribbon on the present um, and and wrap it neatly. So um, I, I felt really confident about it. Um, you know, it was it was so special just to be in that venue just to witness it. Like you'd never think growing up, oh yeah, I'm going to go to an Olympics one day and see one of the greatest of all time. And the guy who is so magnetic and so charismatic where in Rio and, and thankfully in our, we have enough time because we're, we're doing this live. It just fell perfectly in the middle of our, our live two hour show doing the, the bolt races. You can describe the scene leading up to it where bolt has some fun with the crowd and he puts his right index finger over his mouth, which causes the crowd to hush. And then he raises his arms and they all cheer like they're, he, he has them, you know, all, uh, in the palm of his hand. Uh, he's like a conductor. Um, uh, and that was just so much fun to witness again, it's it's talking about what you see. It's calling what you see and setting up Carol, what she expects to see in this race and how it could play out. And then you set everyone as they get into the blocks and off you go. And like it's it's any other sporting event at that point. It's competition and it, it's it brings such a rush. Speaking of getting a rush. One of the people I talked to told me to ask what the band Rush meant to you. <laughs> I'm just wow. going to leave it there. <laughs> who, may I ask who that was? I'm curious. Jason Metco. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is, this goes back to my dad. Uh, I'll say there, there is always that one band um, that you pick up from, you know, a parent. Uh, I, I, I would like to think, and I'm just sorry when, when my, you know, that was my dad's favorite band of all time. He saw them like, uh, probably 10 to 15 times. And that's probably on the low end compared to the hardcore rush fans. Um, but you know, it's on in the car constantly. Um, you know, I just, I gravitated toward it. Uh, and it's funny cause you know, anything else for the most part, I would say anything else from, their heyday, you know, probably doesn't register with me nearly as much. But, uh, man, I just, I, I, I always, uh, appreciated what, what those guys did. And, and, you know, rest in peace, Neil Pert, certainly. And, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's, uh, it's a little too much. Maybe they're a little busy and the progressive, 
stuff and all of that. I mean, listen, I, I love a lot of different bands and artists, you know, rush is, uh, is, is up there for me, but, uh, you know, it, I'll say this in, uh, in 2015 they're on their R 40, the 40th anniversary tour. And it was the last concert that my dad and I got to go see They were, they were at the American Airlines center in Dallas and I got floor seats for both of us. And, you know, that was, that was a moment that I'll treasure, you know, uh, it obviously ended up being their last tour and, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's cool when you can share something like that with a parent, you know, we, we had seen them three or four, uh, what was it? Four times. Yeah. We've seen them. We saw them four times together and really, really special. I watched a couple episodes of your, I don't think it's a podcast, just a YouTube channel with uh, uh, Mike Cousins and Jared Sandler. And you yeah. talked a little bit. What did you decide to call it? The three-man booth. Okay, the three-man booth. <laughs> and you talked about having voice anxiety because your dad had just such amazing natural pipes. Yes. And I, I find that really interesting because I think your voice sounds quite pleasant and you seem to control it well i've heard a little bit of your stuff what did it take to get beyond that and how did it start yeah well thank i i really appreciate you saying that logan that that really means a lot um I, honestly i think it was just starting so early um i was doing get, get a kick out of this listen i i we, we all love high school sports um when I was in high school, I, I was, I had the hybrid role on, on a certain broadcast in the DFW area, uh, spotter slash studio anchor. And with, with radio magic, um, I was able to, you know, of course, spot for the play by play announcer, uh, during the game, but for pregame halftime and postgame with a music bed underneath me, they could always position it on the air as uh, back then they they called me Teddy, which is really funny to think about now. Um, you know, Teddy Emmerich back at Dragon Sports Central uh, because the the team uh, whose broadcast I was on was South Lake Carroll, the Dragons, which is uh, one of the finest uh, football dynasties uh, in the state of Texas. And so I, I'm in the studio, right, doing scoreboard updates and doing highlight segments at halftime in the, in the post game. Um, so I was on the air at a very early age, um, which I certainly appreciated. Again, the more you do this, the sooner you can get better and clean things up. But because I'm on the air in high school, like my voice was, <laughs> it just if I go back and listen to some of those tapes, it's so high pitched. And uh, I, I would always, you know, get cracked on for, you know, hey, Ted, when uh, when are you going to start sounding like your dad? You know, or and uh, sometimes in more vulgar terms, uh, if you don't mind me saying, hey, Ted, when's your ball? When are your balls going to drop? And I'm like, OK, I'm just listen. I, I've I've got this voice. I'm try, I'm working on it. Like anybody else, if you start doing play by play or just anything on the air uh, as a teenager, 
you're going to sound different than when you are on the air uh, after college and five years and 10 years out of college, hopefully, um, using all the tips and tricks that you pick up along the way uh, to achieve that kind of resonance. And I, I still do not have the baritone that my dad had. Um, that's just not going to happen. But I'm hopefully able to maximize what I do have with all of those techniques that uh, Mike and Jared and I talked about uh, in our, our podcast, um, whether it be breathing, especially from the diaphragm, not from the throat and losing that voice in a big moment, keeping that, that base uh, in your core. Um, and uh, that's, that's so important. And I, I've noticed a difference, but yeah, very, very early on, I, I, I'd get chided, you know, like, uh, oh, you suck on some helium. Uh, okay. Thanks, dude. Whatever. You know, you just, you, you laugh and you move past it and you just try to get better. Was that something that discouraged you at any point in your early process of getting into play-by-play? I mean, I, I was a little miffed by it because, again, it was the, the person who had hired me for that role. And I, I think it was it was mainly in a, a joking manner, like, you know, don't take it seriously. Right. We're just we're just cracking on each other, whatever. But like this guy was established and, you know, he was he's a pro. And, you know, I'm here. I'm like, OK, what am I? uh how can I, I, I'm a teenager. Like, how can, how can I, uh, do, do you want me to put on fake announcer voice and, you know, Hey, I'm Ted Emmerich and dragon sports central. And uh, like, I, I, I do remember, I think one time I really tried to do that and it just sounded awful. And so I just, I went, you know what? My goal is to be smooth. Okay. That, that is number one. I just, I want to be able to get through my scoreboard updates clean, you know, in game and, uh, during the segments pre, half, and post, get through the highlight segments, which can be challenging because, again, you're ad-libbing there, certainly, uh, if you're not already doing that, uh, you know, for a scoreboard update. Um, you know, that's – I just want to get through this clean. That's I, – I, I want to get better as a broadcaster. How I sound is how I sound, you know. I And, and even in college, um, I felt that a little bit. Like I would – it's funny. My, uh, my wife was a vocal performance major, uh, for a time at the <laughs> university of North Texas. It's where we met. She later switched to accounting. Um, she was invited to, to this lunch put on by her, uh, her, her so-called studio teacher, uh, her main, uh, uh, voice teacher, uh, there at North Texas. And the, uh, the woman had the comment to me that, you don't really sound like a broadcaster. You don't have that traditional voice. And so again, I, it was something that I, Logan, I, I, I really did have to overcome. It was not anything major. Like I, 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 I the voice has matured certainly, but at the time I just had to get over it. I, I like, okay, people can say what they say. Like I'm again, I'm in college at that point. I, I and yes, I was working uh, professionally at that time as well, but that's going to come. Don't worry about it. Just be clean on the air, be smooth, 
be resonant, find resonance, breathe properly. It's all going to come around. You did high school football for a long time in Texas and probably still to at least occasionally still dabble in it. And that's what I do as well up in Minnesota. I have my own streaming business where I work with a couple different of the big schools up here and see the passion that's there. But by reputation, it's a little bit different in Texas. It borders on cult-like religion for high school <laughs> fandom. Uh, give us a couple of examples or stories about uh, just the passion that people have for that particular sport and maybe some of the craziness as well. I, I can go back to just last December. Um, I, you're right. I, I cut my teeth on high school football, and I absolutely love it in Texas because we do treat it like Division One college football uh, in this state. Um, the, uh, the the turnout every Friday night. I mean, listen, Friday nights are sacred. Let's let's just say it. And uh, everything that you see. Uh, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, the, the great show, Friday Night Lights, of course, the book, you got to read the book. Obviously, that's where it all starts. Uh, the story of Odessa Permian, one season in particular in the 80s. But uh, the TV show, the movie, whatever it might be like, that's uh, that is not far fetched. In fact, I've seen even exa- I've seen examples that go well beyond that. Just the uh, the passion and uh uh, insanity uh, at times uh, as it relates to high school football in Texas. But I go back to to just last December. Um, I, I'm so privileged to be on the call uh, every year now with Fox Sports Southwest for their uh, coverage of the state championship games. Uh, these are th- – this is a special week, man. In mid-December, it is 12 games over the course of four days from the – tiniest high schools in the state to the uh basically universities they just they just happen to have high school kids um these schools that have 4000 5000 6000 kids in them and produce dozens of uh division 1 players and the game that i had on the last day on saturday it was the first game of the day involved alito uh, Alito had the chance to become the first 11-man high school football program in Texas uh, to win uh, nine state championships, and they did it that day. And it, just that crowd, all these games are, are at a central site. They're at AT&T Stadium uh, most years. At times, they have moved down to NRG at Houston where the Texans play. But more often than not, they're they're in Arlington, and you have a crowd, Logan, of fifty thousand people. Like th- this, it dwarfs a good number of the college bowl games that you see in December. Uh, just the 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 turnout, the uh, passion, and it's it's so much more than just the. Uh, everyone in that particular town, um, y- you have people just in DFW or all around the state driving up. It's like, uh, you know, paying your respects. It, th- this is where we gather. This is, uh, you mentioned religion. It's not far from that. Um, it, it, again, it's just so awesome to be a part of. 
and Fox Sports Southwest throws everything at it. I mean, they, they tell you up front, like the resources that they have and they make it look so sharp on TV. We're using Skycam, um, for instance. The resources that they have that they use for those high school state championship games, they tell you are on par with a, a regional NFL game that's on Fox. And so when you have all of those toys at your disposal, you can make it look really good. And so, you know, at that point, as an announcer, you know, you just, again, you want to do it justice. You, you want to be able to live up to that moment. And, you know, the, for a good majority of those kids that that's the last time that they ever wear a football uniform for a good number of them. Uh, like in the case of uh, Jace McClellan, Alito star running back who signed with uh, Alabama. Like, of course, he's going on to bigger and better things and could very well uh, end up playing on Sundays uh, one day. But, you know, for now, you just you want to capture that moment the best you can. And I kind of want to wrap this up with something you said earlier. You mentioned that both of your parents, but I think specifically your father, really kind of set the example on how to treat people. And in talking to people about you, pretty much universally, no one would give me any dirt, Ted. I tried I tried as hard <laughs> as I could. And I even got the quote that the world would be better if there were more Ted's just because the way that you are nice to everybody. And, you know, it seems that it should be easy to do that, but to – just be kind and be generous all the time is not always the easiest thing to do. What is your philosophy or how do you make that always work? Man, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this phrase, uh, which doesn't speak so well of me, but I, I want to share something that uh, my cousins posted on Twitter a few weeks back. Um, It's something to the effect of, be the person who you needed when you were starting out, essentially. And just that that attitude. You um, listen. I'm I'm still growing. I'm still improving. Uh, there are many goals that I I still want to accomplish. Um, but in the meantime, where I am right now, and I am so fortunate to be where I am with. Uh, ESPN and Westwood One and Fox Southwest. Um, if if I can help anybody who is on their way up and and was me, uh, say ten years ago, just starting out and doing McKinney ISD high school football for a hundred bucks a game, where I'm setting up all the equipment and damn that wireless transmitter, I can't get that to work. And I've got a game that I'm getting ready for. And you're just, you're juggling so much. Logan, you, you live this, you know it. We we all have at some point, whether you are uh, in minor league baseball, if that's your route, if that's how you're starting, or if it's high school football and, you know, or, or basketball where you're having to string the phone line all the way across the court and try to tape it down so nobody trips over it and, and cuts you off the air or whatever it may be. Like we all have those stories. And so if I can help somebody with just a little bit extra time, uh, sharing any advice or something that I learned, just, you know, the, you know, the, the man or woman wants to pick my brain, you know, I, don't know what exactly they would learn, but I'll tell you this, 
I learned so much, again, going back to when I was a spotter and I got to meet Ian Eagle and Kevin Kugler and Dave Sims, and they were so giving, Kevin Harlan, Marv Albert, they were so giving. And, uh, if, if I had, a, I didn't want to disturb them certainly, but, uh, you know, a follow-up email you know, that, that they were generous enough to answer or a question in the moment leading up to, you know, you know, what's your, what, why do you have, uh, this box here? Or why do you have, uh, the special teams players separate from everyone else on your board? You know, just a really, you know, a fine question, really nerdy, uh, you know, spotter board type question. Like if anybody has that kind of question for me, I am all about it because I love talking about our business and I, I, cause I, I still have so much to learn and talking about it crystallizes things for me. So if, if I can help anybody, man, I am, I am so glad to do it. If anybody wanted to reach out to you, what would the best way to do that be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, my DMs are open, uh, on Twitter at Ted Emmerich. I, I try to keep it simple. I think that's a, that's a, probably a good lesson for all of us. Keep it simple at Ted Emmerich, T E D E M R I C H. Do you ever try to trick anybody, even though it's spelled different into the fact that, <laughs> that you're related to doc? I, uh, it's funny you bring that up because when I, uh, when I was at the London Olympics, uh, in 2012, I, I got to meet Doc, and that was so, so cool. Um, you know, different spelling, obviously, C-H, not C-K. He was doing water polo uh, for NBC on TV. And of course, uh, hockey for the winter games. But for the summer games, he did water polo and just had a, a great little chat with him. And I, I still get it to this day, Logan. Like, even people at, at ESPN have asked me, are, are you Doc's son? Like, <laughs> no, no, that would be funny. But no, my, uh, hey, my, my dad uh, wasn't too shabby in his own right, a Hall of Famer himself. All right, once again, we are visiting with Ted Emmerich, not Doc's son, Rogers, uh, <laughs> from Westwood One, ESPN, Fox Sports Southwest. And Ted, thank you so much for your time today. Logan, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please follow me on your favorite social media outlet. I prefer Twitter at Radio underscore Logan or Instagram at saythedamnscore. Also, Apple podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated and helps me make the show better. Last, please reach out to Ted and all of the other guests on this show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.